Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Pop Culture Podcast. Tyson Popplestone here. Hope you have a great week. Wherever you are in the world, hope everything's gone, gone just fine for you, gone nicely. For me down here, I'm in the middle of summer. Mum's getting angry that I'm not putting sunscreen on. The sun is shining. The tan is glowing. I'm not sure I'll be bragging about this in 20 years, but that's where we are right now. It's a good time of the year here in Melbourne. I'm, uh, I'm very excited. Today, I'm, uh, I'm also excited because I've been joined by the great man himself, Mr. Sam Talent. From over in the states this guy is uh I, well i discovered him through his book called running the light which was a novel that i was recommended or heard about through joe rogan's podcast and heard some comedians speaking about it and then speak about it with a level of respect that i wasn't anticipating so i thought all right i'm gonna have to check this book out and it blew me away it was a it was an incredible book and as i speak to sam about or as i you'll hear throughout the conversation with sam Novels are something, or fiction is something that I'm, I'm, I'm a little newer to. I haven't been listening to as much of that. So I've started to make a bit of a deep dive into it. And, uh, and this was my starting point. So it was a really nice welcome to the world of fiction. Incredible book with some, I don't know, I just felt like it was, there's a lot of life lessons in there. It was, a, it was an emotional roller coaster in the best way. I, I sent him a message once I finished and I was like, dude, it, incredible. Yeah, and, and to my surprise, he, he messaged me back. And after a few conversations and a few chats, we decided to catch up and have a chat here on the podcast. So we speak about that a little bit. He's also a, a, a gun stand-up comic. You'll see him. Well, jump across to his Instagram, at Sam Talent. You'll see plenty of his clips. Or jump on Google. Or what's it called? YouTube. Jump onto YouTube and you'll see plenty more if you haven't heard of him yet. I've linked uh, his book, his website, Instagram, etc., in the description below. So if you, if you like what you hear, which I'm sure you will, jump across and shoot him a little bit of love. But for now... Uh, really excited to introduce to you for the first time here on the Pop Culture Podcast, Mr. Sam Talent. So what are you going to tell us, tough guys? My usual, zero, nothing. Man, you just um, you just got back from Tokyo last week, did you? Yeah, I did. Uh, Tokyo, have you been there? It's It's on our bucket list, dude. Like for years, I'd been saying to my wife, I'm like, all right, that's where I want to go. For whatever reason, she, for a long time, wasn't that interested. And then I think a number of Australians the last couple of years had started travelling there and coming back with great stories about hot spas and cold plunge pools and saunas and lovely people and very timely transport. And all of a sudden my wife started going, you know what, it actually sounds more appealing than what I, uh, than what I thought. What was, the, what was the experience like? It was all those things you said, man. Uh, their, their train system is probably the greatest achievement of mankind that I've ever experienced. Uh, it's like every three minutes there's a train. Uh, I think all the trains, like it's pr- like rival private companies are sharing tracks. So they're like competing for the consumer dollar with efficiency. Um, so yeah, you can get everywhere really quick out of Tokyo. I mean, there's 14 million people there, man. They're all stacked on top of each other. Like every business is like five stories high and you have to accommodate to looking up to find whatever like bar or Shiba, Shiba place you're going to. Um, but yeah, dude, uh, the onsen, there was like an, it's like a, like a public bath, but it was in our hotel. So it was just for guests of the hotel and you just go and you take a shower and then you hang out in like 36 inches of water with a bunch of nude men uh, and often children too. Uh, there was like a couple like 12 year old boys in there with their dads. And I'm just nude in front of them. Um, and that, you know, I don't know what you do in that situation. You can't fluff because they're already there. So you just have to like sit there with your tiny adult penis in front of this child and not make eye contact but uh, the food was great the people were super nice everyone's japanese that's my biggest takeaway 
Dude, that's so funny. You're the kind of guy I'd want to go to an onsen with because any other adult man with a tiny little penis is the only kind of person I'd want to go into those with. That's in, It's weird, bro. Like I, I've got a friend who lives in Holland. He's been there for 10 years and he had the same experience. He said he, he went to his uh, – he, he moved over there with his girlfriend and they had a sauna in their house. Yeah. He goes, we went and sat in the sauna and the whole family came in nude and I was in my jocks. Oh. And they looked at me and go, what are you like? What are you doing, bro? Like, what? what oh. This is ridiculous. So he had to go out and and get his little bean out and walk back in there with the family and act as naturally as he can. But he said to me, he's like, man, Aussies are so strange when it comes to nakedness. And I assume, like, I'm pretty, we're pretty similar to the Americans in that sense. We're trying to stay as kitted up as possible to, I guess, hide our hideous bodies in a lot of senses. <laughs> so you get put in a situation like that and trying to act naturally is. Is, how'd you go with it? Have you played in enough high school football teams to be relatively comfortable with it, or was it a new, a new kind of experience for you as well? Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't think that you can ever accommodate to being nude around a child. You know, I hope hopefully you don't. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, my wife was having a hoot, dude, and she was like, "You got to go to the onsen. You're gonna love it." And I was like, "All right." So I went down there in my trunks and everything, and then just there was no one in there, so I got in, um, and then people came in and they were nude. And I was like, fuck. So I got out and took off my trunks and then just like sat there with them. Uh, and you don't talk, obviously, because I don't speak Japanese. Uh, but then it turned out my wife was having so much fun down there because she was nude with a bunch of like 24-year-old Australian girls. So she had a completely different experience than me. Because we at breakfast, she like saw a couple of these girls and they were like, hey, Emily. And she was like, oh, those are the girls from the onsen. And I was like, yeah, of course you loved it down there. It was it, it was it was it was like a phantasmagoria. It was just these beautiful and Australian people are gorgeous, dude. I feel like you guys are allowed to be nude, unlike Americans. We should be covered up. We should be ashamed. That's so funny. Yeah, I, I mean, I would have, I would, uh, I was gonna say, I've got to be cautious because my wife listens to these podcasts. I was gonna say, I would have no issues if there was more of a relaxed vibe on the beaches over here with bathing. Mind you, it's getting close with the bathing suits here. I'm not sure if they're doing that in America at the moment, but there's. There's not much going on. Like we're, we're one step away from pretty much having an onsen on every public beach in Australia. I walked down there the other day and was shocked. I just start meditating and taking deep breaths and walk back to my car to catch my breath because it, uh, it was shocking. <laughs> what I, I was there with my sister and the fact she was comfortable oh, in what no. she was wearing was a worry. Yeah, it was uncomfortable, man. It was a, a strange experience. My first, my first experience was we went to Spain in 2017. Yeah, same. Yeah. And, uh, Dude, it was a, a crazy experience. We were sitting on a beach and the whole we were there for three weeks and my wife was going, all right, I'm going to get my boobs out at some stage. Like it's essential to me that I do it. She goes, just let me build up the confidence to do it. And bro, a week and a half in, she didn't want to put a short shirt back up. We were just, fantastic for me. She was very fit. But the, the problem was, brother, we went for a, we went for a walk down. Uh, we are in Barcelona. We were yeah. going for a walk. And we got, to a, we got to a beach and we were sitting on like a, a ledge. Just look, It was a beautiful lookout. The water looked lovely. The atmosphere was great. The weather was nice. And all of a sudden, these, these blokes, like gorgeous blokes, came out just absolutely ripped. And they were, they were doing a lot better than me in many respects. And they just started walking circles. It was like a, a strange mating call. I was sitting there with my wife. And after about 15 minutes, I go, babe, like, this is a true story. I go, what do you reckon we, uh, we go and get something to eat? And she goes, I reckon, how about we just stay another 15 minutes? Oh, well, come on. That's my only objection to nude beaches and nakedness in, in general is, you know, she starts to get awareness of what she could be working with rather than what she's got. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, that's the biggest fear is that the uh, the biggest, beatiest cock you've ever seen is going to walk by and your wife's going to get, your wife's going to have the wondering eye and just she'll look at you with just like this, this, this beaten, broken face of disappointment. And you're like, yeah, I know. I'm, I'm well aware. 
I know what else is out mm. there. I probably know a lot more than you do, you know? Yeah, I mean, I remember oh, dude, I was the same thing when I was, we went to Barcelona and Valencia and we have friends who live in Barcelona and we went down to Valencia and like right away, you know, uh, our friend Tessa just dumps some out and my wife's like, oh, I'm going to do that. And then, dude, I swear, like, <laughs> there was like five, probably 12 year old boys and they were just circling my wife and my friend Tessa. They kept going to get ice cream cones and then they would like just lasciviously lick these ice cream cones and stare at my wife's tits. As soon as that ice cream cone was gone, they'd go get another one. So they probably had, you know, 1,200 calories worth of ice cream just trying to get their little peckers hard. Oh, dude, that's I'm amazing. all for that, just though. I'm, I'm excited when a kid, like his first, like, live pair of tits is my wife's. I think that's pretty cool. He's going to remember that forever. Well, I think it's exactly right. And it's inspiring to you just as a reminder to show you what you're lucky enough to have. Because in most respects, and I've seen a few photos of your wife on Instagram, and I think it's safe to say without causing too much of a rift in our friendship too early, we're both batting well out of our league. And congratulations to you for that. So, And it's also nice, like if there's, I'd be exactly the same, brother. Like if I saw a couple of teenage kids walking past, licking their seventh ice cream just to get a glimpse at my wife, I would take that as a compliment to me. Well, Tyson, I appreciate you trying to lump yourself into having the same physical, physical abnormalities is me but uh you're doing okay buddy you're all cheekbones and bright blue eyes so yeah we, we have different crosses to bear man <laughs> I'm, I'm sure your wife and you have a very active uh you know intense love making schedule uh so yeah uh, uh, i'm very dude, lucky she gave birth. yeah i mean that's a big stereotype she gave birth to her second kid nearly six months ago and you couldn't be further from the truth and i'm very disappointed mm. about that despite my moves my charm it's uh i'm actually tempted to sleep in the upstairs bedroom at the moment based on the fact that my new child makes the noises i didn't know babies could make so love making is very low on the schedule i'm gonna have to lift my game but brother it's uh that's so funny man it was a it was a good experience a good experience overall though getting to japan and that that's one of my biggest regrets i've got a i've got a few tattoos that are hidden under this zebra shirt and uh, as soon as i got them i I caught up with a mate who's a big fan of japan and he's yeah. like, yeah, you, you wouldn't be able to use these pools now because, no, no. like, I don't know if this is just in a traditional sense. Yeah, interesting. Did you have yeah. to cover that up? I've got a tramp stand, which I try and cover up at the best of times, but I imagine it's magnified in an, in an onsen. Well, yeah, but, I mean, in the onsen, it's kind of like prison rules. Your back is against the wall, you know, and so I don't think anyone's <laughs> going to see anything on your back. But, yeah, I mean, it said explicitly uh, in the onsen, it was like you cannot have tattoos in here. But I just got in, uh, you know, and pretending like I couldn't read English, I guess, was my defense, even though I'm clearly American. <laughs> um, but, yeah, my wife has, like, four very small tattoos on her ankles, and she had no issue. And uh, I don't know who's in charge of, like, going to check people's bodies for markings at the hotel, but I think they were busy that that week. So I was in there fine. Um, like, the, the big public ones outside, like, when you see, like, the people, like, swimming with monkeys or whatever, you know, like uh, like in the woods those hot springs i think those are like very very heavily guarded and there's a strict no tattoo mandate because of like you know the yakuza history of the tattoo i saw dudes walking around japan with like face tattoos and shit wearing the sharpest suits i've ever seen and i really want to just go up and be like hey man you're cool i want you to know (laughs) this is a cool look (laughs) i'm sure that would have bummed them out coming from me you know (laughs) no one wants me to call them cool Uh, it's very strange. It's uh, it's always a strange thing. I feel like there's, I don't know if respect is the right word, but I, I feel that same thing. I was at the Comics Lounge here in Melbourne a few weeks ago and a guy I've been there, walked yeah. down the stairs. As, 
Uh, you have? Yeah, yeah. When I was down there, uh, I was down there in May of last year with Tim Dillon, and then I did a, I opened for him, and then I did a couple like extra nights. I did like five days in Melbourne, and went to the Comics Lounge. It was cool. It's a good dude. Club. Were you um? I went and saw, was that May that that Tim was here? Because I, I went and saw him at the Palais. Yeah. And he had an Aussie guy supporting him at the time. I think he had Nick. Um, I think he had that Nick guy opening for him. Yeah. Yeah. That was too. Oh, yeah, dude, I had no idea. I had no idea you were down. Yeah, that weekend uh, when he was there, like in Sydney and Melbourne, uh, was my sister's wedding, and I was in the wedding. So like, uh, I didn't get to do those. And then Tim calls me the night of the wedding, and he's like, "Is it over?" And I was like, "What?" And he's like, "The wedding. Is it done?" And I was like, yeah. And he's like, okay. And then the next thing is I get a screenshot of a, like a first class ticket to, uh, to meet him in Adelaide. So I got to do Adelaide. I got to do Perth with him. And then we went up to the Daintree rainforest uh, for like five days. And then he bailed. And then I went down to Sydney and Melbourne for like a week. I really liked Australia. Man, man. You guys are fucking wild. It's a, it's a wild place. I don't know, dude, the last couple of years have, have been real. I guess like everywhere in the world, the last couple of years have been strange in Australia. Like, I felt like, and this is, I guess, controversial to some Australians, but I felt like it was the first time in my life I didn't want people to know that I was from Australia just because I've got friends in sort of conservative America you sound who American. are looking at us in Melbourne. <laughs> yeah, they were, they were looking at us over here. Dude, I sound like I, I was in Central Point in Medford in, uh, in, in Oregon. And yeah. uh, I, I walked into a I walked into a town with with fuck Joe Biden flags at the front of their house, and I thought I can't wait to hear what these guys think about me and my culture. And oh, yeah. uh, it was, <laughs> I was I was very quick to find out. But dude, I'm so glad you loved it, man, because I feel like now, actually, see, probably the last twelve months, things have started to feel a bit more normal down here, which has been amazing, and everyone's a, a lot more relaxed. But it was the first time I thought, ah, we're breaking the stereotype of how relaxed Australians are at the moment. Everyone's so fucking intense. But um, yeah, like I think yeah, that especially at least I mean, my like idea of Australians were like these like cool. Everyone's at the beach, and you guys are, like have that outlaw nature that's like in your blood. It was very weird as an American to like watch you guys kind of follow the rules, you know? Because I thought you guys would be the first one burning down the the old palace down there, but no, like it seemed like you guys were in line for the most part. Dude, I was down there with my flamethrower, going, "Hey, come and help!" And everyone, everyone was saying, "No, no, you can't, because you're further than five k's from my home." It was uh, a <laughs> what's that movie with Will Ferrell from like the early two thousands where he's running along the road and a cop pulls him old over. School. and He's like, "Dude, what are you doing?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, we're streaking. Yeah. We're streaking. Right. Was, was I, was, I was doing that with a flag. <laughs> <laughs> that was, yeah, brother. It was a, a weird experience, but man, it was. Um, I'm not sure if you're allowed to say this yet. I'm, I'm sure you can. But there was, it was interesting in the comedy scene because there was a couple of like speakeasy vibe places just popping up all over the city. Where and it was, it was weird. Just getting messages on Signal saying if you want a gig, there's going to be a hundred people at this place. Just enter this code and follow the blue line. Oh, which wow. was which was at the like at the in our first lockdown, I thought, oh, oh, that's a bit silly. But by the time it got to our seventh lockdown, I thought, well, sign me up. I'll, I'll be happy to be on that list. Yeah. It was amazing to see how many. It was like an underground church in China. It was, but with worse jokes. It was a, it was a strange experience, but but also beautiful, man. It was it was really nice. Where are you based, brother? Like, what was the vibe like where you were the last couple of years? Uh, I live an hour north of Denver in Fort Collins, Colorado, which is uh, mm-hmm. where the second largest university in Colorado is. Um, and my wife's a doctor, and she started uh, uh, yeah, yeah. she started in the hospital like May of 2020. So it was pretty heavy, man. Uh, 
all the like in March of 2020, I was out filming my special, and like the last night was the night that America shut down, like March 15th or whatever. And then she was doing a rotation in New Orleans, uh, so we went to New Orleans, and as soon like the hospital just said no residents, so we spent that like they canceled her work because it was so hairy, and uh, and then we were in New Orleans for like the first month, and I, I don't know if you know about New Orleans, man, but it's like the party capital of the United States. And it's just like the streets are fucking packed with people dumping their tits out and like, you know, eating toads, whatever the weirdest shit you can find. And it was crazy because like the streets were empty. It was very much like post-apocalyptic. And then uh, my wife was like, you know, she had to get tested every day for work. Um, it was very strict. You know, there was no gigs. Uh, I think the first gigs I did that year were like June in Wyoming, which is pretty much like the Australia of America. You know, it's like our outback. Um so yeah, like and those were still outside and people. I mean, Colorado's weird because it's so purple. It's like the birthplace of the American Libertarian Party. So it's very much like I'm gonna own a gun and I'm cool if my neighbors are homosexual and smoke weed, but just don't like come on my land and bother me. So uh <laughs> you know what's weird too about that whole time was like there was a lot of like uh, you know, uh like marches due to like racial inequity and like uh you know police murders and stuff. So it was really weird to like and I'm not trying to sound like a dick, but like it's really weird for these people who were like very, like I wore a mask, you know, like I respected it. Um, I followed the rules because I saw how seriously my wife was taking it. It was weird for all these people who like were like, you know, wearing masks and like very heavy about it, like scolding you for like not having it over your nose at the grocery store. And then, but like they would like be in the streets, like, you know, with their shirts off, like completely masked, like, you know, shoulder to shoulder with other people, like 10,000 deep marching on Denver in the various cities throughout America. That dichotomy was weird to watch and that like dissonance between those two stances of like follow the rules except for like when i'm not following the rules um you know and i engaged i was out there I, I, it was a good excuse to get outside you know go throw some bricks at <laughs> That's the show. yeah my sister lives across the street from the denver police station we were out there every morning dude just like blasting music and firing bottle rockets and it was fun oh dude it sounds like an absolute blast it sounds like a blast yeah it was weird man we had a Obviously, like the BLM rallies were taking place over here as well, and we it was it was interesting. We had the same conversations. It was the the people that would walk along the beach where we live and say, "Hey, put your mask on." We're down there, as you say, ten thousand deep and just ready to party. It was it was a very strange thing to watch, and and the, the most fun thing during the time was just sitting back and watching arguments online, and just watching both sides of the argument fall apart at some point during the discussion. Oh, yeah. But then just dig, but then just dig deeper into their their own point, and it was a. Yeah, dude, it was a it was a strange experience, but I keep saying I'm so glad we talk about it. It's even more so in the states at the moment, I guess, but especially here in Australia, it's starting to not be every single conversation, which is beautiful because there was there was nothing more I could say about it. I was like, okay, I think I'm, I think that was the last COVID comment. I think I'm done, and to just reflect on it now, and uh, and to be able to have some conversations without all the emotional tension. I go, ah, what a what a relief that was. Was it, was, was, it, was, I know, it that gnarly down there for y'all? Like, were you guys like afraid to even discuss it with each other? Uh, I would say that if you had the opinion, so Australia was very, especially Victoria. So Victoria, where I am, Melbourne is very similar to, I don't think it's as extreme, but it's, it's going in the same direction as Portland. So we're, we're that kind of vibe. There's a lot of people here who are, it was very much, Hey, um, go get your fifth vaccine, put your mask on, stay at home. Uh, very much just like government orders were, were followed, which is fine. And I, I mean, I was doing that for the first 
few lockdowns as well. I was, I was trying to do everything. And then I, I think for us, the, the transition point was we were, we were originally told that if you, if you just get your second dose, um, then lockdowns will end, the yeah. transmission will stop um, and everyone will be healthy. And then I think that's where there was probably the most gnarly kind of pressure where it was like, hey, everyone, we're so over being in this situation. Let's, these people are a lot smarter than us. Let's do what we're told. Let's get out of it. And I understand, like, man, like, I'm sure if I had a conversation with your wife, she'd be like 15 times, maybe 20 times smarter than me. And that's how I found it difficult because I, I kept bumping into people on both sides of the argument. I'm like, dude, you seem smarter than me and you're saying one thing. And then this person also seems smarter than me. Yeah. They're saying the opposite. So I was like, I need an expert to decipher the experts. So I think at that time was when it got most gnarly. But I think, yeah. um, like, Novak Djokovic couldn't come into our country last year because he didn't have the I vaccine. I know, dude. I was and gambling this year, on that. That was one of the two things you could gamble on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and then, dude, one of the best things you've ever seen is, uh, I'll get back to what I was saying in a minute, but this year, long story short, is he's back because um, cause he's safe this year. Yeah. And uh, this year he, he came back and Sportsbet in Australia have, have put on a uh, – they've put on like a special – where for every single ace that Novak Djokovic hits in this tournament of the Australian Open, Sportsbet are going to donate $1,000 to Australia's vaccination research, <laughs> which, I, which I thought was just funny. I thought it was really clever. Oh, and, uh, it was like a, Yeah, it was a, I thought it was a great take and actually made me want to take up gambling, which is genius by them and yeah. disappointing for me. But, um, yeah, I felt like, brother, once – once the vaccine started to get rolled out and, you know, transmission was still taking place and people were like, all right, it doesn't, I don't know how effective it is. Maybe it's lessening the symptoms. That's where I felt like it started to, to relax a little bit, which is, which is nice. And now I think, I mean, with exceptions, it's, it doesn't really matter what side of the fence. If you haven't got the vaccine, most people in Victoria still think you're a dickhead, but they can't quite tell you why. Yeah. Yeah. It was weird. Cause like I was, uh, you know, I was with my wife for like the, you know, I still am with my wife. Thank God. Like, I was, <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. I was hanging out with doctors during that time. So I'd go from like people yeah. who were literally on the cutting edge of like what was going on. And like, you know, they were like pretty set that they were on the right side of history. And then I would leave those conversations and talk to comedians who, as you know, are some of the dumbest, most selfish people alive. <laughs> and like, these are people who were totally dependent on being able to perform in live groups. So they were like, I don't know, man. Like, it seems like a hoax. And it's like, okay, dude, I saw you swallow a bottle cap once. All right. Uh, I'm hanging out with people who went to like Yale and Harvard, you know, and like USC. And they're telling me to do this. So I'm going to do it. Because like, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't follow your advice for like, you know, anything. Why am I going to listen to you on this? But then to kind of see like, you know, I mean, I, I think that it was, it was a very wild time. I just think that, uh, you know, a lot of people had to like, re-examine just how strident they were on either side of things you know um because there was a lot of people in northern colorado and southern wyoming who weren't getting the vaccine and they were passing away and there was a lot of people who weren't getting the vaccine and up where i live and they were totally fine you know so it was it was kind of weird yeah it was a strange experience man that's my general theory with life is whatever advice a comedian friend gives me just do the opposite so if they're saying oh, yeah. don't get it you go you know what i probably i'm probably due for the booster yeah. is, is exactly what it should be oh yeah yeah, it's tri- I mean, I, 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 I'm, tri- oh, I'm triple boosted and I still got COVID like, you know, four times. So whatever. <laughs> Tokyo was great, dude. Tokyo yeah. is huge. Uh, uh, I mean, like, I don't know, dude. It's, uh, it's like it's 14 million people. The only thing I had to compare it to was like London or New York City. 
and it just totally wallops both of those. It makes both of those seem like, uh, you know, like fucking Perth. You know, it was very, very. Uh, it was it was crazy to be buried in that just amount of people just inundated no matter where you were with uh with japanese people you know because they don't really let anyone in um it's weird there's a lot of like uh, american white supremacists who admire japan because it's like an ethno state kind of and it's like uh i don't like those conversations but i had a couple like fucking freaks on instagram hit me up and be like it's pretty cool what they pulled off over there huh and i was like what and they're like yeah it'd be like because you know i've done some I've, I've done skank fest. I've been on uh, some podcasts that uh, don't exactly, you know, uh, lean to the left. And some of these people, you know, they're like, they got like the, uh, like the fortune, like the, the Pepe emoji as their like avatar on Instagram. And they'll be like, if only we could pull that off over here, but without the Japanese. And it's like, dude, please, please don't ever talk to me again. <laughs> like this isn't, oh. this isn't the fandom I'm trying to like curate, you know? <laughs> Oh, it's so funny, man. I like whenever you get a message like that, I start to read too much into it. I'm like, what message am I giving off that people exactly. feel comfortable saying this yeah, stuff? Yeah. To me? And it's Why the am same, I safe it's space the same... for this hateful idea? <laughs> it was it's strange, brother. I um I heard a while ago, I can't remember who I heard speaking about it, but it was a like a psychologist speaking about how you should pay attention to what you're tagged in on social media because a lot of the time that'll give you an insight as to the way people perceive you. Yeah. And my wife, dude, she's a, she's a high school history teacher, very passionate oh, about it. And it, it holds up. Like she's, yeah, she's often um, just tagged in beautiful moments of history. And I, I noticed like I would see that and I go, isn't it amazing? Like the, the fact that people would see that and think of you. Yeah. And then I would get tagged in a bloke who, who's figured out how to stick four tall cars in his asshole and go and get an x-ray. Like, well, what, what am I doing? Like, what's happened here? <laughs> why is this the vibe i'm giving off it's uh which is quite accurate on both sides of the fence I, I, probably more relevant to me than being tagged in a history meme but how, how did he do um, it how do you figure it out lots of lube oh dude it was lots of lube and uh i, I honestly think there was an, an interesting history he, he had to be a bisexual years ago because there was a lot of flexibility going on back there do you know what i mean it was it wasn't his first rodeo is, is sort of what I'm trying to say. It was but good on him. Good on, I had a lot of likes. I didn't like it because I, I wanted to stop that algorithm. But, um, yeah, interesting to see. <laughs> interesting to see. Oh, dude, that's so funny. <laughs> you guys are wild. Oh, yeah, man. That's I'm coming, I'm coming so down you're, there in um, August. I'm doing, like a, I'm doing like a month all over the country of Australia in August. I'm bringing my wife. Dude. Oh man, let me know. We'll um, we'll go if you if you're keen and you like me at the end of this podcast, I'll take you on a tour. Um, oh, I mean, you probably I'm got charmed. insight into some of the good. I'm yeah, charmed, brother. Like you're very some... funny. You're too you're too funny to be so handsome. That's what sucks. I don't like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's right. This is the best I get as well. I did myself up all pretty for you for the podcast as well. Um, so I mean, you might be disappointed in person. But, all right. Uh, what were you so so last time you were here? I reckon I actually I listened to Tim Dillon's podcast when he was down in Australia, and I think him I think I remember him talking about the 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 trip up in Queensland. Like, were you there? You had a really interesting. I don't know how much sugar he had poured on the story, but you had a real interesting lady looking over uh, your guys' welfare during your stay up in Queensland. Is that right? Like, I remember him just ranting about some Australian chick how she's supposed to be more relaxed. But she was just an uptight bitch that reminded him of his mother. I'm pretty sure he said. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, we were we were at like a. Uh, well, here's what happened. I hope I'm not telling any stories out of school here with uh, my beautiful friend Tim Dillon. But uh, Tim, Tim is, uh, you know, 
he's a he, he's a very wealthy homosexual from New York, which means he does what he wants and he says what he wants. And uh, and it's very fun to be close to someone who uh, is that okay with being themselves. So we did. Uh, I did. What was it? I did. I flew to Adelaide. Did that show. Adelaide was fucking cool. Really charmed by Adelaide. Went to Perth, which was just a fucking mutant factory. That was like the worst show. I think we did the entire time. <laughs> we did, you know, every English-speaking country in the world besides New Zealand and fucking Perth, man. Those people. I don't. I think they were like there for a meat raffle. I don't think they knew that it was a fucking comedy show, dude. Uh, it was really funny to like do like the coolest thing ever, and then you know Dublin, London, uh, and then wind up in Perth and just eat our dicks, both of us. <laughs> like, yeah. We like Tim did like forty minutes in Perth because <laughs> it sucked so bad. Mm. Uh, then we flew up. We flew from Perth to the fucking Daintree, dude. Which uh, I didn't know that you guys have the oldest rainforest in the world there. Um, so yeah, like we were there, there, and we were on this like very, very just opulent resort. Um, you know, like the rooms were like half indoor, half outdoor, like all glass, like in literally in the rainforest, like a budding, you know, ancient trees and foliage. And uh, Tim, we, he booked a tour, like a charter tour of the Great Barrier Reef. And uh, so he books that. It's like five grand. Uh, they're going to, you know, they're, they're be decking the entire boat with like lobster and, uh, and, and everything we want, you know, just everything that a wealthy man with taste would like. And then that night, Tim starts, this is like our first or second night, Tim starts Googling like, uh, I think it's called the anaconji. It's like the nightmare jellyfish. You know what I'm talking about? I don't, but it sounds bloody dangerous. Yeah, there's a, there's a jellyfish down there. It's like as big as your thumb, man. And apparently uh, it stings. If they don't kill you, they cause like nightmarish hallucinations for two weeks. Like you just have this like, it's a, an impending sense of dread. So you're just like waiting, you know, for, for death to claim you the whole time. So after he Googles that, he wakes up in the morning and the, the charter people are there, pick us up. They're going to drive us up to the, to the reef. And Tim's like, I'm sorry, I have COVID. And, uh, and they're like, excuse me? And he's like, yeah, I have COVID, I can't go. And they were like, well, what are we supposed to do with all this lobster and crab? And he's like, you got the money. Throw yourselves a party. I don't care. You got to keep the money. The deal's a deal. I'm just not going. I'm sick. So he says that and he says it loud enough. And also, I don't know, dude, like that's what's weird about Australia is like, it seems like a bit of a nanny state. Like people are like, you know, people have their eyes on you and you have your eyes on each other down there. Uh, so like right away, we get a phone call from the front desk because the people who had the boat tattled on Tim, they called the hotel and they were like, hi, we, uh, we're here to pick up one of your guests. And they just told us we have COVID or he has COVID. So me and Ben, Avery, his former producer, we went to uh, go grab coffee and we're like stopped on this bridge. And they're like, hey, uh, and like we're, we're still walking and they're like backpedaling, you know? It's like we have like a nuclear <laughs> device on us. And they're like, we were just told that you guys have COVID. And me and Ben were like, no. And they're like, well, someone in your cabin has COVID. We were just told that. And we were like, no. And we just start walking. And the staff is backing up again, like they're at gunpoint. So mm -hmm. after that happened, you know, Tim tried to explain to them, like, I lied. I didn't want to do it. Uh, so I, I lied. And they were like, so after that, dude, their eyes were on us, like, all the time. Like, I've never seen so many towels get dropped off at a hotel room as I have. Like, they were there, like, every hour just dropping off towels. You need more candles. You need another toothbrush. Uh, and, of course, Tim was infuriated by this. 
And also, you know, he was kind of pissed that he couldn't get like a club sandwich at 1am in the rainforest, you know? He, <laughs> well, he, that's unfortunate. That's, yeah, you should be able to get that. He expects a little more, uh, you know, bang for his buck, you know, as, as I, I understand that, you know, we spent a lot of money to give us this really cool experience. So, uh, yeah, we, we, so we do that. And then the next day we sign up for like a tour, like a, a tour of like the indigenous, indigenous sites of uh, the Daintree area. What state is that or province? The Daintree area, it's uh, you're up in Queensland, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it's by like Cairns or whatever. Um, yeah, Cairns, Cairns is their, their city. Yeah, yeah. Like real north, getting real tropical up there, right? Yeah, so like we get in this, we go and we're we're late, like a half hour late to this fucking bus because you know, Tim keeps his own time, God bless him. And as soon as we get there and we see there's other people on the bus, Tim's like, No, this would be bad. How could it be good? We can't do this. So we get on there. And the first stop is like an indigenous, like, you know, um, what do you call them? First Nations? What's the correct terminology? Yeah, oh, dude, it's impossible to say the right word these days. I, I'm too scared to say anything because I'll be cancelled. But yeah, First Nations people is the current in-trend word to describe like an indigenous person. Yeah. That's what we used to call them in 2019, but I think that's not allowed anymore. <laughs> yeah, dude, well, I mean, we were using we were using antiquated terms we didn't know were bad. So, uh, yeah. yeah, like indigenous <laughs> You're going back to 2012. Forward. You're going back to 2012 yeah. there, brother. That was respectful back then. Can't be oh, saying yeah, that yeah. anymore. We were doing our best. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we get on this bus and Tim just right away, I sit down and I feel my pockets start to buzz. And it's just text messages from Tim. Like, we got to get off. All these people are mutants. These are all freaks. I can't spend eight hours with these freaks. So the first stop was like a, like a cultural heritage center. And Tim gets off the bus and just fires up a cigarette on like sacred land. <laughs> And the bus driver's like, oh, you, you, you can't be doing that. You know, you can't be doing that. And Tim's like, I'll do what I want. And then he calls a car and we can't get a taxi anywhere because it's, you know, the middle of nowhere. I mean, like, dude, that was like, we were deep in the fucking bush up there. So Tim just starts walking like down the side of the road, like down the side of like a dirt road. And I'm like, I look at Ben, I'm like, what the hell's going on? And Ben's just like laughing and nodding. And uh, eventually we finally get a cab like sent from the resort. And uh, Tim is able to, uh, he like talks some lady who owns like a charter bus company up there into giving us a private tour all the way up to Great Barrier Reef. And she's like, I don't know. And he's like, I'm going to give you $2,000. And she's like, that's too much money. I can't do it. And he's like, what are you talking about? Too much money. Lady, shut up. And she's like, excuse me. And he's like, you need to shut up and take my money. I will pay you cash. Be here at 8 a.m. tomorrow. So uh, she showed up. She took us on an insane tour. Uh, you know, we put our feet in the reef. You know, we didn't like getting too deep because we were afraid of the terror fish. And uh, <laughs> yeah, dude, I mean, it was otherworldly. It was so beautiful. Um, it was like Avatar. I didn't know that that kind of beauty existed. Because, um, you know, you drive through the rainforest and then you just kind of like pull off to the side and all of a sudden you're just in this like, you know, lucid blue water. Uh, yeah, dude, man. I'm really impressed by what you what you guys got going on down there. Uh, Man, it's so I, fucking, it's, it's I drank talking... I drank so oh, sorry, many VBs in Melbourne because Tim doesn't drink, you know. So like, uh, I'm respectful of that. And as soon as he took off back to the states, I was in Melbourne and I did a show down there and hung out with these comics. Uh, and just Jazz is that guy's name? Jazz Watkins? Do you know him down there? Oh, uh, Jazz Watts. Yeah, Jazz Watts. Do you know him? Yes, I do know him. I yeah. do know him. And his buddy, the big, he can play. yeah, his buddy's the big uh, bald dude who like is very acerbic and has like kind of like dry humor. 
He knows he's also from Perth. I'm trying to think, brother. I'm not 100% sure. I'm not 100% sure That's who all right. that would be. I hung There's out a with lot them of big bull dudes out. in Melbourne comedy. For sure. I hung out with that guy, Ben Knight, with the red hair, who just looks like Thor. Yeah, you know? he's, he, yeah bro, he looks like Thor. He does. He's, yeah, he's a funny man. He's, he's a strapping lad, dude. Very funny. And then uh, that kid, mm. Huey, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Huey Robinson? Yeah, is that him? He loves, he loves, he loves uh, cricket. Yeah. Dude, are you talking about? Is it Hugh? Hugh with? Does he have red hair? He's the most confident redhead you've ever met, or? No, let me try and look him up. Uh, I wonder, Huey. I wonder who that could be. He loves cricket. An Aussie guy, is he? Yeah, he's an Aussie. He's down there in Melbourne. Uh, anyway, dude, I don't remember. He was a great kid. And anyway, I was hanging out with those guys, and I drank like so many VBs and like triple X's or quad X's, whatever the fuck they're called. I didn't know they were pints, man. I thought I was just drinking beers, and then I did the math. And I went to Hungry Jack that night. This is the first time I drank in like 10 days. And I drink a lot, you know, when I do drink. And I went to Hungry Jack and got a couple fucking burgers. And then I woke up that night just like floating and shit, dude. Completely yeah. just bloodbath of diarrhea. I ruined my bed. Uh, and I had to strip all the bedding and uh, put it in a pillowcase and like walk out through the hotel lobby like, like a hobo. <laughs> and just throw it on the street. Uh, and then... Uh, yeah, so I, I slept it's in that, that hotel room that for five nights. That rock lifestyle, brother. Yeah, I know. It's, it's so that rock style, yeah. Yeah, I know. Everyone, everyone should be very jealous of me and the way I'm living. Uh, <laughs> and then I had the worst hangover ever, dude. And I had just like this dark night of the soul where I was like, I'm like 24 hours away from anyone who loves me. If I were to die in this hotel room, they wouldn't find me for four days. I like, got the do not disturb, disturb on the door. Like, oh, it was it was dark, dude. It was it was the heaviest I've ever been mentally. Was that like 24 hours after drinking all those goddamn BBs? Oh man, yeah, they're no Miller Light. I saw you. I saw you clip yeah. on Instagram the other <laughs> day. No that's, a, that's a great dude. That got some traction, man. That was funny. I love that. That was uh, when you drink these. It's to tell people I'm going to have 17 more. I don't yeah. just to spoil your punch. Like fantastic. Yeah, that was very funny. Yeah, VBs have got a reputation down here for. That's like your that's like your your Aussie stereotypes drink. If you didn't already realize that, that's a yeah. Well, essentially, are, now if you're into any kind of class, uh, like like I'm what's his name, Chris not, Franklin? Oh, like a bogan. Do you know the comedian Chris Franklin? Is that his name? I do know Chris Franklin. Bogan. Yeah, yeah, they call yeah, him yeah. A, actually like the bogan beer, right? Yeah. yeah. So anyone with a checkered King, shirt, King a mullet, bogan? and a VB in there, yeah, that's right, and a pair of flip flops, yeah, your full blown bogan, and he. He's actually the leader yeah. of that group. I heard a story about oh, him, dude, dude. because uh, Ari Shafir told me before I went down there about Chris Franklin. And I was like obsessed with him. And I saw his headshot at a comics lounge on the wall. And I was like, fuck. <laughs> and I was asking everyone there about Chris Franklin. They were telling me stories. And uh, some, I guess he was the first Australian to have scurvy in like the last hundred years. Because all he eats is meat pies and drinks VB and smokes <laughs> cigarettes. Like he hasn't had a vegetable. <laughs> Like he, he gets his meat pies without onions because he won't eat any vegetables. Like that's how like hardcore he is. And I guess there was some, there was like, I think it was the Melbourne Comedy Festival. Some kid was like, I'm going to have a hundred beers this weekend at the Melbourne Comedy Festival. And Chris Franklin was like, a hundred beers. I'm going to have a thousand beers. Fuck this kid. And uh, I think he got to like 700 beers before he was hospitalized. <laughs> It, it, honestly, I'm surprised. I'm surprised you got done at 700. Because uh, when did you say you're coming down? Are you coming down during the festival? Uh, I'm coming down. Uh, there's a production company called like Guilt Free Comedy. It's bringing me like all over Australia and maybe New Zealand. 
and it's in August and I don't know like what the dates are or whatever. He's still figuring it out, but um, I'm doing like yeah. the whole fucking continent. Dude. Awesome. I was going to say, cause Chris Franklin runs, he lives down in Tasmania, which is yeah. where people that you just described live. Like that's a stereotype. Yeah. If you're living, I don't want to go into it cause I've got a lot of respect for Chris Franklin. And he's too. also a great showrunner. Yeah. Yeah. No, well, yeah. I respect in the sense that if I'm in a pub and the pub is wild, I want, I want him on my side oh, because yeah. he's the only man that a wild Australian would listen. I go into a pub in this shirt and get judged and, and called a gay man. And then as soon as he comes in, I get, I get apologies because of the fact I'm associated with him. So as long as I'm on his good side, I feel safe in any under, you know, sort of underground or questionable gig. I was going to say, he runs a show at a place called the Exford Hotel here yeah. during the comedy festival. It's like the late the night party show, right? Yeah. Oh, bro. And so this this show had a reputation about seven years ago of just being a dangerous place for any – they used to call it the lion's den. You'd go in and just get torn to shreds by some drunk 47-year-old <laughs> whose marriage has just fallen apart. And then Chris Franklin, he, he took over and just no one can out him. He goes up the front on a freezing cold Melbourne night in, in flip-flops and, yeah. a, and a, a flannelette shirt with its sleeves cut off. Yeah. And, like, there's no man that's not terrified. Even though he's in no physical shape to fight, just his – demeanor and authority he you can just tell he spent a lot of time in those places so he's the captain and everyone accepts it but that's a it's a it's a cool place man like a lot of uh, top aussie comics will stop in there at the after party just to to give themselves a little uh, ego check it's not just audiences right. who are there for them a lot of the time it's people coming in going who the fuck is this guy i really don't know yeah and it's a good test to see how well your material holds up but um maybe you have to say that save that for another trip down man but that's yeah, what have you met the guy no, dude, I haven't, but uh, I've, I think it was crazy. I went to uh, the Botanical Gardens in Melbourne, and I listened to Ari Shafir uh, interview him on his podcast from, like, 2012 or something, and, uh, and I was just, like, I became obsessed with this guy because, you know, I wrote a book um, about a guy who's pretty much exactly Chris Franklin, but American, you know, and, uh, and like, Doug Stanhope thinks Chris Franklin rules. Like, he told me about him as well, so... I did a pretty deep dive and I remember walking around the botanical gardens listening to that like novelty song that he had. You know, remember yeah, that I'm song? I'm a bloke. I'm, I'm a, a yellow bloke. Oh, yeah. everyone. Yeah. My best friend's yeah. name is Rabo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. So, um, yeah, like I, I, I feel like I know the guy, even though I don't know if he would enjoy my company. I try very hard to uh, charm him. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, dude, anyone, oh, dude, anyone with a VB dude. in their hand, I think. Tim, yeah. Tim Hewitt, that's the kid's name. Do you know Tim Hewitt? Tim Hewitt. Yeah. Tim Hewitt. Yep. I think I do know Tim Hewitt. I know. I, I'm sorry to Tim if uh, it's the bloke I'm thinking of, but Tim Hewitt. Kind of I'm going to Google him after to make sure I. He was really funny. I'm he not... made me laugh a lot. On oh yeah. Page. Oh man, yeah. That's uh. There's some. There are some. There's some funny. There's some loose units down here as well. That's for sure. Man, it's interesting. Loose I units, yeah. Forty minutes. <laughs> that's in. right. Forty minutes in, I uh, I didn't even haven't even mentioned your book yet, but it was funny just for everyone listening. The way we got started was I was on a walk here. There's a nice little beach trail, and I was walking to a suburb called Queenscliff. And I, running the light, bro. I was I, I heard him talking about it on Rogan's podcast a while ago. I thought, oh, that sounds interesting. I'll, I'll check it out because I've taken like a little mental note that I got to I got to stop just doing nonfiction all the time and just start checking out a little more fiction style. Anyway, so I've taken the deep dive into that and. It was such a nice welcome, brother, because I never really, like, for, for me, uh, fiction, I don't know what it is, but I'm always, forever, from about the age of 16, I was like, oh, I'm not really, I'm not really doing much for myself here. I really need to invest in my own ability to get better at whatever it is I'm working on. 
yeah. but just that that ability to step into some fiction and, and let your imagination run wild it was such a nice little welcome because i uh it sucker punched me because I, I heard a couple of comics and I thought they were just giving you a pump up because you were a mate of theirs. And then I think it might have been Ari. He, he got like this tone of sincerity in his voice and he's like, I can't remember if it was Ari. But he was like, no, no, but like the guy's a comic, but fuck, like he's a, he's a, legitimate, he's a legitimate writer. Like this is insane. And I thought, oh, that's, that's interesting. So I went and checked it out and it's funny, man, like <clears> – <throat> I, uh, I've got two little boys and it was interesting just listening to that book. And my constant takeaway was um, it was, there was so many, there was so many things, but for me, it was like, Hey, keep your priorities, your priorities was, was what I kept coming back to. It was like a, for me as, as um, engaging and as inspiring and as emotional, dude, I'm not just saying this to make you feel good. I, um, I feel like I'm a hard man to, to make tear up, but, but listening to, to Billy Ray Schaefer meet back up with his boys and try and navigate that relationship. I've got two boys myself. I was on a couple of walks just going, oh, my gosh, like this is – Thanks, man. This is, this is real. Hey, it's, it, it's beautiful, brother. And, and for me, the takeaway was like, all right, hey, Tyson, like keep – work hard. Like do your comedy, do your thing, but, but don't let it be your whole life. And also maybe stay away from cocaine when, when possible. Yeah, you guys <laughs> love it, dude. That? You guys fucking love cocaine. Oh my and god! And it doesn't even have to be. You know what we love? We love handing four hundred dollars over for a substance, which could be baby powder, as long as it's in a little bag and we feel cool as we do it. Oh yeah! People are uh, people are happy to take it. I mean, as soon um, as you guys get to America, that's the first thing you ask. Every Australian I've ever partied with is like, "What well, can we get a little bit of yip?" You know, it's like, dude, <laughs> everywhere you're in America now. It's yeah, eighty dollars a gram. Have fun. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it was interesting. I heard you. I heard you speak about it on. Um, Mark Maron's podcast, where he's talking, you were, you were saying, look, I, it was always a dream of mine to come onto your show, but I always dreamed I'd be invited here as a comic yeah, exactly. rather than an author. Yeah. Um, I was curious to pick, I was curious to pick your brain a little bit about that, man, because obviously I've discovered your comedy through your book, which is which is beautiful. Now you've got another Aussie fan for your comedy, as well as uh, another bloke hanging out for the next release of uh, of the sequel. Oh, thanks, uh, but <laughs> but um, what, what's that journey been like for you, man? Like it's obviously a bit of a a little bit of a head spin to uh you know just venture down the world of comedy for so many years and then all of a sudden people discovering your comedy through your writing yeah um you know dude it's uh well i want to say this in a way that doesn't make me sound conceited like i'm very proud of my comedy uh, i've been doing comedy for 15 years i think that i have a you know i'm capable um i do a good job um but i do think that that book is probably the best thing i've ever done creatively so it was weird uh like you know Mark Marin, what's what was strange, dude, is like if you look at the uh, the read the people who read my audio book, you know, you got Doug Stanhope, you got Chris Gethard, you got Ari Shafir, you got Jackie Cation, you've got uh, you know Bert Kreischer, Mark Marin. There's a bunch of people who are comedians who would never hang out, and a lot of their fans would never go see, like an Ari Shafir fan's not necessarily going to go see Chris Gethard perform, and vice versa. Uh, so it was really cool that like the entire like American comedy community, and honestly, dude, like most of like, I mean, I did shows in Berlin. I did shows in Amsterdam. People were showing up with my book, getting it signed. Like it's really uh, been nice that fans of comedy have kind of embraced it as uh, as, you know, something that they value and uh, they think is legitimate and like, you know, reads true. But the weirdest, so like, that was cool. It's kind of a shortcut to like, not a shortcut. I've been fucking doing this forever, but it was cool for like, uh, to get like, the respect of, of larger comedians and like, you know, Stanhope liked it. He shared it. Bert Kreischer got it. He shared it. That's how Marin found out about it. 
because I think he was like spitefully watching Kreischer's Instagram or Twitter or whatever. Like, um, so yeah, it was just this like giant, like kind of, uh, you know, fucking ripple effect of, uh, of people getting into it. But it's weird when people like the book and then they come see me live because I'm just a comic. Like, I'm not trying to make anyone think I'm smart on stage. I use accurate vocabulary. But that's like about as pretentious as I get. Like, I use the correct <laughs> word when I can to uh, say things succinctly. But uh, yeah, so like they show up and they think they're going to see like some, uh, I think some guy with his head up his ass who's going to like use the thesaurus to communicate. And I'm up there talking about my wife's tits and like, you know, drinking beers. And uh, <laughs> and it's kind of funny. And then it's also the other way around when people like my comedy and they buy the book and they expect it just to be like, you know, the memoirs of a fat man. Uh, and then they read it and there's like, you know, prose and stuff and like, uh, you know, like poetry to it. And I worked really hard to make it sound like an actual literary novel. So yeah, like when people come from either side of it, I think that uh, they wind up disappointed <laughs> either way. No, uh, I, I have <laughs> noticed though, when people come to the shows after reading the book, there is like a kind of like, a, huh, you wrote that book? You, you were the guy who did that? that? That's bizarre. Okay, anyway, you know, and they come back and they like it, but I think they have to kind of like lower their gauge for like, you know, how, uh, how erudite I'm going to be on stage and like how I'm not discussing like, you know, life and death and, uh, you know, anything pivotal, really. I just want people to laugh. That's all I've ever cared about. I, I don't care if they think I'm the dumbest person alive when they leave, as long as they laugh really hard. Yeah, man. No, that's unreal. Have you, have you always been writing like the whole way through your comedy? Because it, it, it strikes you as a book that as I was reading it, I was like, how do you, how do you get such good descriptions? Like I would, I remember in, in high school, my, my teachers used to say to me, Hey, you know, you try and break this down in a different way. Like trying to explain it in a little more color and a little more. And I'd go, I just, I never really was that interested, but then I, I hear it in your book. I'm like, what a, like, that's such an insanely good way to, there's just so many areas in there. I was like, I, I would never even think to describe it like that. It just strikes me as a, a bloke who's been writing for a long time, but I don't know your background in that department, whether it's something that's been going on in the background or whether you've just, uh, you've come up to the batter's plate and you've just swung and hit a home run. Like, I don't understand how that works. Um, I mean, I've, I've always been like in standardized tests and stuff, you know, in, in school and in college, I always got good marks on writing and I've always like, you know, I was writing short stories and stuff, um, you know, since I was like, you know, 20, 21, as soon as I allowed myself to do that kind of thing. Because for a long time, you know, it was like, no, this is gay. Stop. You know, go do push-ups, you know. Uh, go, go chase pussy. Uh, don't read books, you know. But then, like, I've always loved books, but I've always loved novels. I'm opposite of you. Like, you read nonfiction, and I only read fiction. Like, I probably read one nonfiction book a year, and I probably read 100 books a year. Um, and usually when I read a nonfiction book, it's about, like, World War One or some kind of, like, you know, Japanese internment camp atrocities. Uh, it's always like the most fucked up thing I can get my hands on. And uh, so, yeah, like I always read. And I think that the best way to become a good writer is to read really good writers. And you kind of like yeah. synthesize, um, you know, what they're doing. And, uh, you know, it's like when you're like, I'm a drummer too. And you listen to other drummers and you kind of get like new ways to like keep rhythm and uh, different beats or like things you might not have thought of. I think the more of whatever art you want to be good at, you ingest. Uh, the bigger like you know um knowledge base you're gonna have and the more you're gonna be able to compare what you're doing to other things i do think it's weird in comedy though because like i think it's really dangerous to watch too much stand-up if you're a comic because it's really easy to forget a that was someone's joke and then you're riffing on stage and it winds up in something you say 
or B, just like sounding like someone. Because like I definitely yeah. have had issues where like, you know, back in the day you watched too much Louie or you watched too much Norm MacDonald. Or the weirdest one was Cat Williams. I remember like, I went through a heavy Cat Williams phase <laughs> and all of a sudden I was like talking like a pimp <laughs> on stage and it's like, oh, I've got to, I've got to, I've got to curtail this. Um, so yeah, like I just read a lot, man. And I wrote a lot. And um, before I wrote that book, I wrote like a hundred thousand words, 160,000 words of two other things. And they both kind of sucked. And the first chapter of that book was like a part of this other thing I was writing. And I just was like, oh, this guy's fun to write. I know this guy. I'm afraid of being this guy. I think it's really easy to write something you're afraid of. Um, that's interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause that was the thing that stood out to me. I was like, yeah, that it scared me too. But that's interesting to hear you say that was kind of a little bit of the fuel behind the, the fire of getting the words on the paper, because yeah, that, I think that's what, what kept driving me through. I was like, Oh no, like sure, surely it, like this is the bottom of the barrel here. Like right, he, yeah. his life's not getting any worse. He's going to figure it out. And then, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then he, then he'd wake up the next morning. And you're like, Oh wow. No, he's, he's done it. That's in, that's incredible. I heard you say on um, uh, Mark Maron's podcast as well. I, I don't remember if it was Blood Meridian, but there was a book that you said you just kept reading throughout the writing process, just as a almost like a focal point of what good writing is. Yeah, was yeah. It Cormac McCart was it? Uh, yeah, Blood Meridian. Yeah, I, was, I made that up. I was reading Blood Meridian, and I was reading uh, Dennis Johnson's Angels, and I was reading a couple like novellas by this guy Simon Jones, who's Welsh, and. Uh, I think that Blood Meridian is probably the best thing America's ever produced. And that like includes rock and roll and movies and stand up comedy. Like, I think that if you were going to like time capsule uh, something like important works, like you'd probably put some jazz in there. And then I hope you put Blood Meridian in there. You know, everyone says Moby Dick's our best book, but I don't know, dude. There's something about the brutality of Blood Meridian that's just like enchanting and disgusting and, uh, you know, so repellent, but also like you can't look away. And yeah, I was just reading yeah. those books throughout to like remember like what, you know, good sentences, like what uh, the rhythm and like meter of a good paragraph sounds like, you know? Um, yeah. It's an art form in itself, hey. It's, uh, yeah, before before I heard you talk about Blood Meridian, I, I can't remember his name. He's like the lead singer of Pink Floyd. He was on Rogan's podcast a while ago. Roger Waters? recommended that Rogan, yes. Yeah. Yeah, he recommended a book called All the Pretty Horses. Oh, it's beautiful. Oh, my God. It's a, it's, yeah. it's a, it's a love story about, like, two uh, boys growing up on, like, a Texas uh, ranch, and they go to Mexico because their horses are, uh, are like, I can't, I get a, I get a mix it up with the crossing. That's part of the Border Trilogy. But, yeah, it's just these two boys, and they, like, go to Mexico to find work. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's gorgeous, man. It's a great place to start if you want to read Cormac McCarthy. I mean, the road is really good way to dip your toes in because it's like really short and straightforward and about a post-apocalypse but yeah all the pretty horses oh, is dude, like yeah yeah gorgeous it's gorgeous it's, it's... wait is that is that cormac mccarthy the road mm -hmm. i didn't realize that was him because that was another one on a uh, when i was going down my fiction rabbit hole that i think ryan i don't know if you know ryan holiday the the stoicism guy like ego is the enemy um <laughs> i'm not sure he's a he, he's written a lot of books all of it he, he's sort of like a self-development guru but focusing a lot on on stoicism and, and how the stoics lessons can apply so nicely to our life today but he has a an awesome book list as well and i think i i i got that recommend i've definitely listened to the road but i didn't realize it was him um it's such a new world to me but yeah what other what other books are your, your top couple like uh, after blood meridian and um angels is another one you mentioned on Mar angels, uh, angels is my favorite yeah. book yeah that's like my favorite book i think blood meridian is the best book um 
Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Flannery O'Connor wrote a bunch of amazing short stories. She's probably the best American short story author uh, that we have in America. Um, what else? Oh, there's a guy named, uh, like, if you're, so the thing about books is, like, I've read a lot of them, and you don't want to, like, tell someone to read Blood Meridian or, or Sutree or Moby Dick, like, as their first, like, foray into fiction, because they are really hard to read. Um, you know, you got to have, like, a horse next to you. What's that? Well, it's funny you say it, man. I, I was just going to say, it's funny you say that. I didn't want to tell you, but just as you say that, I, I heard you say that on Mark Maron's podcast, and I was like, all right, I will, and I've been listening to it through Audible because I spent an hour and a half driving back and forth to Melbourne for gigs. We're a bit out of town. Yeah. So Audible seems to be the best way. And, and Blood Meridian, man, I reckon I got, I reckon I got no. an hour in, and I was like, I'm not, I'm not ready for it. I've got to yeah. – um, and I kind of hit pause, and I was like, I know the it's, – it's the same reason I can't get into Moby Dick because I, I still could be a – like there's a very good chance I'm partly retarded when it comes to these kind of these kind of books. So I know I know the book's not the issue because they they seem to pass the test of time and people like yourself respect it. So I'm like, all right, Tyson, this is this is your issue and something to work up to. But it's funny no. you say it like that. Like you wouldn't venture into the world of fiction with Blood Meridian, which is essentially what I've tried to do. Yeah, dude, don't do that. That's a fool's errand. I think I don't know how you're supposed to consume Blood Meridian if you're driving or on a walk like anything passively like i think you have to lay in like a fucking like black dark room with your hands crossed across your chest like a vampire <laughs> and with your eyes closed and just like focus on every word because reading it is intimidating and i've read it like six or seven times and yeah there's a there's a guy named john patrick manchette and he's uh he's a french guy from like the 60s through the 80s and he writes these really cool uh crime novels that uh you know, they, they're French, so they delve into, you know, existentialism, stoicism, uh, all of your, you know, nihilism, all your, all my favorite isms, you know, um, <laughs> and, but they're still like about like, you know, hitmen and like, uh, like, uh, like insurrectionist groups who want to blow up the, the palace, like, they're really cool books, but they're also smart. Um, and they're easy to read, but also like rewarding despite their length. So I would, uh, I would, I would say maybe try and read like The Prone Gunman by, uh, by Manchette. Or, uh, I mean, the fucking, the road is super easy to read, you know, it's a boy and his dad and there's a bunch of human slavers going around, you know, trying to turn people into sex holes and eat each other. Like, it's really cool stuff. Um, it's probably 160 pages. Don't need the, don't need a big vocabulary to get through that. Uh, yeah, there's just, there's so many books, dude. I think that if, uh. You know, it's people come up to you and they're like, I liked your book. Uh, it reminded me of like Bukowski or reminded me of like, you know, Chandler it reminded me of Hunter S. Thompson. And you're like, thank you. But that just kind of shows me like you have only read like two books and they were both by Bukowski because it doesn't sound like that at all. You're trying to give me a compliment because this is uh, this is like, you know, this the, 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 these are the reference points you have are these authors that you read, you know, when you were 19 and trying to impress a girl. And it's like, uh, I understand that books are boring. Like there's so many better ways yeah. to entertain yourself. There's movies, televisions that have been better. Video games are telling these amazing stories. Like to sit down and read a book is like, why would you do that? You know, it's just like, I yeah. like it. Um, and I hope that no one ever feels bad about not reading books because I haven't seen every movie. Like I haven't seen every good television show. I'm missing out on a huge part of the cultural conversation when it comes to many different things. Uh, I can talk about specifically like American novels from like, 1928 forward I'm like that's all i really know so uh yeah if anyone's ever trying to make you feel dumb about not reading books just tell them to fucking can it you know <laughs> yeah, yeah. Seriously. it's funny man it's funny that you say like your reference points dictate what people can like refer to you as 
I wish I had found that out at the start because it, it wouldn't have taken much for me to tell you that you remind me of Martin Luther King in his uh, in his autobiography. <laughs> not, yeah, not, not Junior either, the first one, his dad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, the, very, the very first guy. Yeah. Dude, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm aware of the time. I know uh, you, you've got to be upstairs in a minute, so I won't hold you up anymore. But, man, I'm so glad we got a chance to, to sit down and have the chat. It's been a long time coming and it's uh, – well, Tyson, yeah, I yeah, owe you an apology, man. I was dropping the ball left and right, so I really appreciate your persistence and, uh, you know, you uh, you allowing me a second chance. I had a really good time, dude. I mean, honestly, God, dude, you get awesome, hit up man. for a lot of fucking bad podcasts and you do them and you're like, fuck, why did I say yes to that? So, uh, oh, no, I get it. I don't, I, uh, it. I don't regret this at all. I'm really grateful that you had me on, dude. You're, you're a charmer and I look forward to uh, taking our wives to a nude beach down there in Melbourne and seeing who got the better I, deal. I cannot wait to... I can't wait to get an ice cream and, and look at your wife's boots. It's going to be fantastic. <laughs> Dude, so is is August is like winter there, right? Uh, what's August? Uh, summer's till February. Uh, summer, autumn, February till... It's upside think, down, right? Is it? Yeah. Dude, now I'm confused. It's spring. It's spring. spring? Cool. Is so that right? It won't no. be a million degrees, will it? No, I, like every Australian right now is pissing themselves laughing at me because I'm not convinced I've told you the right season. Wait, let me figure it out. So February's the end of summer. February... March, April, May is autumn. June, July, Damn, August. So you are, you yeah, are just I a pretty face, winter, brother. You had me swindled it's, for a minute, but here we are. Hey, bro, hey, you, you're so much like Bukowski. You're so much like Bukowski when you say that. <laughs> Damn, you had me, man. I was blinded by those Dude, teeth. I, 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 should have, I should have ended the podcast when I could have. It's funny, man. No, it was great to have you on. I, uh, I, I was funny. I was saying to my wife the other day that uh, trying to get you on the podcast, it was a little bit like, You've got to you've got to draw the line. You've got to be careful because all of a sudden there's a fine line between showing someone you're keen to talk to them yeah. and just turn onto a, turning into a pain of the ass stalker. So no. it sounds like I've nailed that balance and uh, and it all worked out. You but, really um, did, man. Man, that was it was a lot of fun, brother. A really good sitting down and talking. My, to you, so my biggest it. concern with Australia right now is not like the scorpions or like you know everyone's like oh everything's really trying to kill you there. I didn't have that experience because I was in a bunch of huge cities which are very metropolitan and like stand on their own against any other place in the world like. Australia fucking rules. I'm sure the middle is a death trap, but I am very concerned with like accidentally going there in August. And for some reason it's still the summer and like having to experience an Australian summer when I'm 300 pounds. Like I literally, I plan most of my year. Like I don't go to the American South in the summer. Like I go there in the spring and I go there in the winter because I don't want to be sweaty for a week. So I really hope that uh, I did this correctly. And it's actually like the this autumn or winter while I'm there in August. Make sure you Google it, bro, because I, I know that I don't need to say this, but there should be no confidence taken from me and the fact that I don't know my own nation's seasons. Yeah, very disappointing. I'm, I've got to say I'm pretty rocked by this. <laughs> this is a revelation. Yeah, that is, I'm going to send this to a producer and make sure that this is edited well to make me look very smart and make you look like a dickhead. Well, I thought I was going to look dumb as hell asking at the end of this great conversation. So uh, what, what, what season is August? And then... <laughs> Thank God, man. Thank God we're both drowning together. <laughs> oh, I love it, brother. All right, man. All right, you get out of here. Appreciate it, man. And um, yeah, I'd love to I'd love to catch up with you again. Thank you. Hey, listeners, uh, follow at Sam Talent on Instagram or samtalent.com so to see dates. Because like I said, I'm coming down there and I'm hitting, hitting everywhere down in Oz, man. Can't wait to come back. For sure. And in the description, I'll make sure I link your book directly to your website because I know there's a nice little cut coming yeah, into your pocket. But hey, Amazon, brother, so. honestly, dude, <laughs> if you live in Australia or anywhere outside the United States, order it from Amazon because it costs like, uh, yeah, it costs yeah, like postage. it's like 30 bucks US to ship it down there. So just get it from Amazon. I appreciate the thought, but 
uh, I'll sign it when I come down there. Come bring it to a show and I'll sign it that way. Sweet. All right, bro. Yeah. Hey, I'll leave you to it. I'll see you later. Appreciate you, dude. Awesome. See you, everybody.